then here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort, slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. This is Hawkeye Recap with Brian Hurley, part of the Hawk Fanatic Network. On this podcast, we will relive past Iowa football and basketball games and players from the past 100 plus years. To find more games and players, visit HawkeyeRecap.com. Next up for the Hawks is Michigan State. Now, Michigan State didn't join the Big Ten officially until 1949, and they didn't start playing regular conference games until the 1953-1954 season. So we actually don't have any games prior to 1953, which is really surprising to me. I thought they would have played at least some non-conference games in the 50 years prior to that. So I'm going to look at the games from 1953 through 1978 prior to Hayden Fry taking over because then the games become more prominent and they play pretty regularly. So I'll cover those in a future podcast. So between 1953 and 1978, Iowa's record was 5-10-1 against the Spartans. And most of those wins were under Ebyshevsky. The Hawks won in 1954, 1959, and 1960, and then again in 1969 and 1976. And then they tied in 1972. So let's take a look at all those games. First one, September 26, 1953, at Kinnick Stadium. Michigan State College, which they are referred to, they came into Iowa Stadium at the time, now called Kinnick Stadium. They were the number two ranked team, and they defeated the Hawks 21-7 in front of 47,000 fans. Forrest Evashevsky was the coach. It was the first matchup between these two schools. They would later be renamed to Michigan State University in 1955, but they were called Michigan State College for the first two games. The Spartans were coming off of two undefeated national championship teams in 1951 and 1952, and they were riding a 24-game winning streak, and thus the number two rating. Turnovers were costly for the Hawks, losing four fumbles and giving up three interceptions, with most of them on MSC's side of the ball. Jim Freeman punted twice for a 48-yard average and also had a big hit on MSC's quarterback, which took him out of the game. Frank Gilliam caught four passes for 21 yards to lead the Hawks in receiving. Binky Broder scored Iowa's lone touchdown in the third quarter. Ed Vincent rushed eight times for 57 yards. The defense held the Spartans to 98 yards on 39 carries, which is a 2.5-yard average. 
Iowa was as close as 14-7 in the fourth quarter, but the Spartans added one more touchdown to seal the victory and avoid the upset. And I've got a daily Iowan game recap. I've also got a WHO radio pregame promotion for the game, so it's kind of cool to listen to. No videos or quotes or stats available right now. Next up, September 25th, 1954, also at Iowa Stadium. Number 12, Iowa against number seven, Michigan State College, and the Hawks get the win 14 to 10 in front of 50,000 fans. Forstavischewski is still the coach. The Hawks defeated the defending Rose Bowl champions with outstanding play from Eldine Matheson, who set up Iowa's winning touchdown with a 52-yard punt return down to the Spartan three-yard line. Jerry Reichow scored on a QB sneak on fourth and goal from the one-yard line to take the lead. Earl Smith scored Iowa's first touchdown on a 32-yard run in the second period. And there's a daily Iowa game recap article. There's also highlights uh, showing the punt return from L. Dean Matheson, which is really cool. You should check that out. Next up, October 10th, 1959, also at Iowa Stadium. Number 10, Iowa versus Michigan State. This is homecoming, and the Hawks get a 37-8 win. Eveshevsky is still the coach and there were 59,000 fans in attendance. The two teams did not play from 1955 to 1958, and all the games so far had been at Kinnick Stadium, or Iowa Stadium at the time. Bob Jeter rushed for 104 yards on 11 carries. Quarterback Olin Treadway was 14 out of 24 passes for 154 yards, including two touchdowns to Don Norton. Iowa jumped out early and took a 23-0 halftime lead. And there is some video clips from about the 22 minute mark, where you can see some highlights from the game. I also have a daily Iowan game recap, but no stats or quotes. The next game is October 8th, 1960. This one is the first one at East Lansing, Michigan at Spartan Stadium. Iowa's number three, and they go to number 13, Michigan State, and they win 27 to 15 in front of 74,000 fans. Eveshevsky is still the coach, the first touchdown came on a 59-yard drive after a fumble recovery, and six minutes later, Iowa had another touchdown, this time after a 48-yard drive. They took a 14-0 lead after the first quarter. Early in the second half, the Spartans came back with an 83-yard touchdown drive and got a two-point conversion to bring the score to 14-8. As the fourth quarter opened, MSU drove 80 yards and took the lead 15-14. Iowa's Joe Williams fumbled on the Iowa 38, and MSU recovered. And things looked pretty bleak. MSU quarterback Tom Wilson tried to run a belly option play, but fumbled, and Williams redeemed himself with a 67-yard fumble return for a touchdown, bringing the score to 20-15 after the conversion pass failed. After a Bernie Wyatt interception, Wilburn Hollis ran around the end for 11 yards, then quarterback sneaked right through the middle for 23 yards and the final score. The extra point made it 27-15 with less than two minutes to play. Iowa had scored 13 points in less than a minute to pull out the victory. The win moved the Hawks to number two in the country after the game. And there are some clips you can check out around the 26-minute mark that show highlights from the game. I've also got a daily Iowa game recap article. The next game was November 6, 1965. This was at Iowa Stadium. Iowa hosted number one Michigan State and lost 35 to nothing. Jerry Burns was the coach, and there are 54,700 people in attendance. I've also got an official game program you can download and look at. 
The two teams would not play each other from 1960 through 1964, but resumed competition this season. The Spartans came to Iowa Stadium as the number one team in the country, and they played like it. Despite some hard hitting from the Hawkeye defense, they were unable to slow down Clinton Jones and the Spartans. He rushed for four touchdowns on the day. Iowa was only down 14 to nothing due to two costly turnovers at halftime, but could not get enough offense in the second half. And I've got a daily Iowa game recap of that game. The next game, November 5th, 1966. This game's at Spartan Stadium, and Iowa goes to take on number two Michigan State, and they lose badly 56-7. to Ray Nagel is the coach, and there were 67,211 in attendance. The Hawks were already underdogs going up against number two MSU, but injuries forced players to play at positions they hadn't even practiced. Despite the limitations, the Hawks were able to move the ball on offense and orchestrated an opening 90-yard touchdown scoring drive to take a surprising 7-0 lead. Spartan defense was only allowing 40 yards on the ground on average, but the Hawks got 150 yards rushing and 120 yards of passing on the day. The score was only 12-7 in the first quarter, but 23 points by MSU in the second quarter made it 35-7 at halftime. Clinton Jones had another big game against Iowa, scoring three touchdowns, including two scores of over 70 yards. Last year, he rushed for four touchdowns and another blowout win. And I've got a daily Iowa game recap article you can check out. The next game, October 25th, 1969. This is at Iowa Stadium. Unranked Iowa against unranked Michigan State. And the Hawks pull out a close win, 19 to 18. Ray Nagel is the coach, and there's 56,471 in attendance. In a nationally televised game on ABC, Iowa scored a late touchdown with 1 minute 25 left when Mike Selick entered the game for injured quarterback Larry Lawrence and connected with Kerry Reardon for a 6-yard touchdown pass. Alan Schutte kicked the winning extra point. Rich Solomon picked off an MSU pass to end the game. It was the first matchup between the two schools where neither team was highly ranked. The highlight video only contains a tiny bit of footage around a commercial. You can go to the YouTube site to read the entire explanation. The full game video starts in the third quarter when Iowa was leading 9-3. I'm still looking for the full game version, including the first and second quarters, if anyone knows where I can find that. And I've got a daily Iowa game recap. So you can watch the short highlights and you can watch the third quarter on to the end of the game. The next matchup, October 24th, 1970, at Spartan Stadium. Both teams were unranked, and Iowa goes to East Lansing and loses 37 to nothing. Ray Nagel was the coach, 62,000 were in attendance. Iowa was only able to gain 109 yards on offense. It did not get deep into MSU territory until the fourth quarter. Sophomore quarterback Kyle Skogman struggled with four of 27 passes for only 54 yards and through three interceptions, and Ray Cavole suffered a season-ending injury during the game. So there's not much to really report on there. I've got a Daily Iowa Game Recap article you can download and look at. 
Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. Hi, this is A.J. Perez, Managing Partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. The next matchup, October 23rd, 1971, also at Spartan Stadium. Both teams were unranked. The Hawks lose 34-3. Frank Lauterbur is the coach, and there were 60,383 in attendance. Harry Kokulis scored Iowa's only points on a 27-yard field goal in the first quarter. An early decision to go for it on 4th and 5 in the first quarter was unsuccessful and might have been a turning point to keep the Hawks in the game. The Spartans fumbled the ball 14 times in the rain, which was a Big Ten record but managed to recover 11 of them. Iowa fumbled three times on the day, but recovered two of them. Frank Lauterbur commended Dave Sims, Larry Horton, and Ike White for their defensive play. And Levi Mitchell rushed for 101 yards. I've got a Daily Iowan article you can read as well. The next matchup was October 28, 1972. This time it's Kinnick Stadium. I think that's when they changed the name from Iowa Stadium to Kinnick Stadium in 1972. Iowa and Michigan State played to a 6-6 tie. Both teams were unranked, and it was Iowa's homecoming game. Frank Lauterbur was a coach, and there were 46,852 fans. After MSU scored a touchdown and messed up the extra point snap, the Hawkeye defense shut out the Spartans the rest of the game. Harry Kokulis came off a recent hip injury to kick two field goals, including a fourth-quarter 26-yard kick that tied the game. Iowa recovered five of the eight Spartan fumbles in the game, marking the second game in a row in this matchup where rain made it challenging to hold onto the ball. And if you remember, MSU fumbled 14 times the previous year, but only had lost three of them. Freshman Andre Jackson had 22 tackles for the game, with 13 of them solo tackles. There's a Daily Iowan game recap article you can download. Next matchup, November 24, 1973, Iowa and Michigan State both unranked. The Hawks lose 15-6. Frank Lauterbur is the coach, and only 31,000 fans were in attendance. For only the second time in school history, the Hawks failed to score a victory in a season, ending with an 0-11 record. Coach Frank Lauterbur was fired on Tuesday last week after refusing to realign his coaching staff. He ended his coaching career at Iowa with a 4-28-1 record. The Hawks gave up a safety in the second quarter on a blocked punt out of the end zone and were only down 2-0 at halftime to the 10-point favorite. But a fumble early in the second half gave MSU momentum, and they scored eight plays later. Iowa gave up two interceptions, three fumbles, and had some costly penalties. Dirk Kreit kicked a stadium-record 49-yard field goal for the Spartans and later added a 28-yard field goal in the fourth quarter. The Hawks finally scored late in the game when quarterback Butch Caldwell ran 78 yards on an apparent broken play. The two-point conversion failed, 
as did the ensuing onside kick. And I've got an article from the Daily Non Periel, which I think is in Council Bluffs. The next matchup is November 23rd, 1974, in Spartan Stadium. The Hawks go to face number 14, Michigan State, and lose badly 60 to 21. Bob Cummings is the coach, and there are 51,000 in attendance. After falling behind 10 to nothing in the first quarter, the Hawks scored on a 47-yard touchdown pass from Rob Fick to Bill Schultz to make it 10 to seven. They took a 14 to 10 lead on Dave Bryant's blocked punt that Jim Caldwell returned for an 18-yard touchdown. Rod Wellington rushed two yards for a touchdown to give Iowa a 21-17 lead in the second quarter, but that would be the last score for the Hawks. MSU put up 43 unanswered points and shut out the Hawks in the second half to blow the game wide open. Bob Elliott fumbled a punt on the MSU 26-yard line, which helped set up a touchdown drive, giving MSU a 24-21 lead that they would not give up. A strange fifth down was awarded to MSU, allowing them to kick a field goal. The defense surrenders 660 yards in total offense, 489 of that coming on the ground, while the offense could only muster 272 yards. Iowa linebacker Dan LaFleur was injured with torn ankle ligaments in the first quarter and required surgery after the game. I've got a Daily Iowan Game Recap article and then a quote from Dan McCarney. He said, this still has been the most beautiful experience in my life. They'll be good next year. They have too much class. And this is after he had played his final game as a Hawkeye. And he went through a lot of bad seasons with uh, the previous coach. Next matchup, November 22nd, 1975. Iowa Michigan State were both unranked. The Hawks lose a close one, 27 to 23. Bob Cummings is the coach and there are 42,300 in attendance. Iowa moved the ball on the ground and put up 14 points in the first quarter, highlighted by Dave Schick's 55-yard touchdown run and Dave Fetter's 42-yard touchdown run, but they still trailed 21-14 at halftime. The Hawks gave up an 82-yard touchdown pass to a wide-open freshman, Kirk Gibson. Iowa's third touchdown came after defensive tackle Rick Marsh ripped the ball from the Spartan quarterback and recovered it in the end zone. Trailing 27-21 late in the fourth quarter, quarterback Butch Caldwell connected with Eddie Donovan for 22 yards and then Bill Schultz for 46 yards for Iowa's first pass completions of the day. Iowa had the ball at MSU's 21-yard line with the chance to win. A fourth down pass to Tom Grine was one yard short of the first down, and the Spartans took over on downs. The Hawks would get one more chance after MSU took a safety and punted back to Iowa, but a QB fumble was recovered by the Spartans to end the game. Schick rushed for 128 yards on the day, and Fetter added 83 yards. I've got a Daily Iowan game recap and a Cedar Rapids Gazette article as well. The next matchup is November 20th, 1976 at Spartan Stadium. Both teams were unranked and the Hawks pull out a 30 to 17 win. Bob Cummings is the coach and there are 48,412 in attendance. Quarterback Butch Caldwell returned from injury to complete seven of 12 passes for 111 yards. The balanced rushing attack was led by John Lazar with 90 yards, including two touchdowns, one on a fake punt, Boomerowski, 40-yard touchdown run with only one shoe on. Tom Wren added 69 yards rushing and 49 yards came from Caldwell. Darrell Walls also added 45 yards on only five carries. The Hawks' defense held MSU to three points until the fourth quarter, but gave up two touchdowns to make the game more interesting. 
Nick Cortaro set some school records in the game. He kicked three field goals from 32, 25, and 38 yards and broke Bob Anderson's career field goal record with 17. He also ended in second place all-time for career points with 106 behind Dusty Rice. It was the first time since 1960 that an Iowa team won three times on the road in a season. And there's a Daily Iowan game recap and a Cedar Rapids Gazette game recap. I've also got a couple highlights from John Lazar, including the punt bum, uh, boomer ruski, they called it. I think that's something similar to a fumble ruski. And a quote from Lazar. Our fake fooled everybody except Michigan State's backside end. He grabbed me by the right foot and held on. I thought, golly, I've got to get at least a yard or two for the first down. So I finally jerked my foot right out of my shoe and took off. He was welcome to my shoe. I had great blocking all the way to the goal. The next matchup, November 19, 1977. Both teams unranked and Iowa loses 22-16. Bob Cummings was the coach, 43,000 in attendance. After battling back from a 17-0 deficit to get within 22-16, with just over two minutes to go, Iowa's last effort was halted on downs. The Michigan State defense stopped Iowa's quarterback Tom McLaughlin to no gain on a fourth-and-one sneak from the Spartan 44-yard line. The wind played a major factor in the game as well. The Spartans had the wind in the first quarter and took advantage of two short punts and a fumble to jump to a 17-0 lead. Iowa scored 10 points when it had the wind, and it was 20-10 Spartan lead at halftime. Dave Holsclaw booted three long field goals from 47, 48, and 51 yards. The 51-yarder broke Nick Quartaro's distance mark of 50 yards. He also broke the school record for most field goals in a season, previously held by Al Shute and Quartaro with seven. Dean Moore closed out a brilliant career with 10 solo tackles for the game. I've got a Daily Iowan article as well. And then the last one we'll cover in this podcast, November 25th, 1978, Spartan Stadium. Michigan State was ranked number 14th, and the Hawks lose 42-7. Bob Cummings was the coach. There were 57,000 in attendance. It was 34 degrees. Iowa was soundly defeated by a talented Spartan team in what would be Bob Cummings' last game as Iowa head coach. Iowa was down 35 to nothing at halftime. Iowa's Mario Pace and MSU's All-American Kirk Gibson, who was a future Major League Baseball player, got into a fight and they were both kicked out of the game. The fight sparked some life into Iowa, resulting in a 50-yard scoring drive on a 10-yard pass from Jeff Green to John Lazar. So not many highlights to talk about there. The Daily Iowan has a game recap you can read. So again, in a future podcast, I'll cover the Hayden Fry years and then the Kirk Ferentz years. Hope you found that enjoyable. I did doing some of the research. Very interesting. And we'll do something similar for the Purdue matchup. Although I'm not sure how far back those games go. So I might have to cut it even earlier. Takes me a little bit of time to look up each game and, and do some of the research. So about 10, 15, 20 games at most for each podcast. So I hope you're finding it enjoyable hearing some of these old games. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483, 400-4483. 
Support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is sui.org. I remember going to the horseshoe for a game in 2005 when the vastly undersized young 250-pound Mitch King was playing defensive tackle against a really good Ohio State team. Things didn't go well for Mitch and the Hawkeyes that day. However, you could see the coaches trusted Mitch to do the right things and that he was a fighter who wouldn't ever give up. Fast forward a couple years, and by the time Mitch was a senior, he was dominating the Big Ten. The fiery Mitch King was definitely a fan favorite that 2008 season when he won Defensive Lineman of the Year in the Big Ten and was an All-American. I'll read through uh, Mitch's profile a little bit here. You know, Mitch signed with Iowa in 2004. He was a three-star recruit out of Iowa. He attended Burlington High School in Burlington, Iowa. Uh, He was a Class 4A first-team All-State selection as a senior and a member of the Super Prep All-Region team. For his career, he finished with 1,400 yards rushing and 850 yards as a senior. In 2005, he was finally played at Iowa and he was named first team freshman All-American with 60 tackles, 36 solo, 11 tackles for a loss, two sacks, three passes deflected, and three forced fumbles. In 2006, he made 56 tackles, 21 solo, and four of them went for a loss. He also made seven sacks and deflected four passes and forced three fumbles. In 2007, he made 58 tackles, 25 solo tackles, 14 and a half for loss, and four and a half sacks and seven passes deflected and forced a fumble. He was named first-team All-Big Ten that season. His great season in 2008, he recorded 27 solo tackles and 27 assists, including 15.5 tackles for loss and four QB sacks. He was named Big Ten Conference Defensive Lineman of the Year, first-team All-American by ESPN.com, and consists of first-team All-Big Ten selection at defensive tackle. He was selected to play in the 2009 Senior Bowl and finished his career with over 200 tackles at 228. He did go undrafted and in 2009 NFL draft assigned with the Tennessee Titans. He played two seasons in the NFL with the Indianapolis Colts in 2010 and the New Orleans Saints in 2011. If you go through the profile, there's some good videos in there. The guy had a ton of great highlights. Uh, I would encourage you guys to Look at some of those highlight reels. They're really some great plays in the history of Iowa football. I also found a quote looking through some articles. Just wanted to kind of share. It kind of epitomizes what Mitch King was, I think. I wanted to be the guy that get everybody pumped up, he said. At that point in time, I was usually pumped up in things. I just wanted to express how important each and every game was. And I think that's the way he played. Every snap, he just was so fiery and really was one of the great Hawkeyes of all time. Brian Belaga is one of the better players in the Kirk Ferentz era. He was a highly regarded recruit out of high school and had a long tenure in the NFL. I'll just read a little bit about Brian here and the uh, profile on Hawkeye Recap here. Brian's high school rating was four stars out of high school when he signed in 2007. Belaga attended Marion Central Catholic High School in Woodstock, Illinois. He recorded 261 career tackles with 46 tackles for loss, 31 sacks, and one interception. While as a tight end, he had 35 pass receptions for a total of 665 yards and scored 10 touchdowns. 
He was considered a four-star college recruit by the ServiceRivals.com. He was ranked sixth among the college prospects at offensive tackle. He had numerous offers from Nebraska, Oklahoma State, and Wisconsin, but he chose to attend Iowa as they promised him he could play offensive line. At Iowa, he played left guard as a true freshman in 2007 and was a starter by midseason. He was named Sporting News Freshman All-Big Ten Team. In 2008, he moved to left tackle where he started every game. Here in second team All-Big Ten by the coaches and second team sophomore All-American selection by College Football News. In 2009, he was named to the 2009 Outland Trophy watch list. After missing three games, he started all the remaining games with the Hawkeyes, including the 2010 Orange Bowl. He was named the Big Ten's Offensive Lineman of the Year for 2009. He decided to forego his senior season to enter the NFL Draft. He was drafted by the Green Bay Packers in the first round of the 2010 NFL Draft. He won a Super Bowl with the Packers over the Pittsburgh Steelers. He played for the Packers from 2010 to 2019 and then signed with the Los Angeles Chargers for the 2020 and 2021 seasons. In 2023, he was named to the American Needs Farmers Wall of Honor. There is one video link on the website to when he was nominated to the American Needs Farmers Wall of Honor. Uh, it's a pretty good video. Brian's final college talent rating was 115. Uh, he really did uh, prove and have a lot of accolades to his name in his only three seasons at Iowa, uh, which really propelled him up the list as one of the best offensive linemen in the Kirk Ferentz era. If you have topics or games or opponents or players you'd like to learn about, please contact me. You can reach me through the website, HawkeyeRecap.com. You can also find me on Twitter and on Facebook. If you know other Hawkeye fans that might like hearing this podcast, if you could please let them know about it, I really appreciate it. Thanks and go Hawks.